This podcast is made possible by your support and your donations. Thank you. And by the purchase of my book called Everyday Buddhism, Real Life Buddhist Teachings and Practices for Real Change. I will post an affiliate link to the book on Amazon in the show notes. And if you've already read it, please take a minute to rate and review and also consider purchasing it again for a friend or family member as a gift. Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 85 of Everyday Buddhism, Making Everyday Better. Um, you've pro- Maybe you've noticed that I haven't been around for about a month, but I didn't go anywhere, didn't do anything exciting. I guess I just needed a little um, pause in uh, producing podcasts, but I'm back and hopefully on a more regular schedule. Every time I take a month off, I feel guilty. Isn't it terrible? But okay, here I am back again. And in this episode, it's exciting because I talk with Emma Varvalukas, an editor and writer with more than 10 years in the nonprofit media space. She's all about things, writing about things that could go right. She's focused on the positive. That's a rare thing in today's world. (laughs) She's also the executive director of the Progress Network, where she writes the popular What Could Go Right weekly newsletter and is co-host of the What Could Go Right podcast. She was formerly the executive editor of Tricycle, the Buddhist Review, the premier publication covering Buddhist news, culture, and Buddhism's new home in the West, where she oversaw editorial strategy and production, as well as the release of several new ventures, including Buddhism for Beginners. She is the editor of two books from Wisdom Publications, Touching Ground, Devotion and Demons Along the Path of Enlightenment, and Wholehearted, Slow Down, Help Out, Wake Up. Emma's a graduate of New York University, where she double majored in journalism and religious studies. She has also studied Tibetan Buddhism at Rongjong Yeshe Institute. I might pronounce that incorrectly, but it's close, in Kathmandu, Nepal. She is a Buddhist practitioner, and we had a wonderful time talking because we touched on a lot of subjects that were of interest to me, including podcasts news, writing, and of course, Buddhism. So in our wide-ranging conversation, we discuss how we can train our minds to not overreact to the negative and scary things that are happening in the world so that we might respond with equanimity rather than join the chorus of divisiveness and despair. Among other things, we talk about the news, social media, polarization, and a non-grasping way of thinking about progress. 
as not a utopia just around the corner, but more of noticing a noticing of the gradual arc of improvement in people's lives by focusing less on clickbait negative headlines and more on what is going right. Plus, we shared a few chuckles. Um, it was such a thoughtful and stimulating conversation talking with Emma. I know you'll enjoy it. She will make you think. The conversation starts now. So hello, Emma. Thanks so much for joining me on this podcast. Um, before we get deeper into what we might want to talk about, first, I'm turning it over to you because I like the whole origin story thing, like, uh, you know, where did the Progress Network come from? Uh, where, 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 do, where did the... Uh, where did the uh, what could go right concept come from? Um, you know, what was the inspiration, the spark and and uh, uh, who who sparked it? And who do you think your readers and listeners are? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks so much for having me, I should say, first of all, and happy to tell the origin story. Um of the Progress Network. So the Progress Network is the brainchild of Zachary Carabell. Um, it's under the umbrella of New America, which is a nonpartisan think tank that's based in DC and they also have headquarters in New York. So Zachary is a board member for New America and um, it was really his idea to start something um, that would focus people's attention a little bit more on all the things that were just fine. Um, because as we know, we, <laughs> as a zeitgeist right now, particularly in the US and Europe, less so um, in places like Asia, there's a little bit more of an optimism, you know, with the rising tide lifting all boats, because a lot of people are seeing um, their personal fortunes rise. They have a little bit more of an optimism around there. But in Europe and, and the United States in particular, the zeitgeist right now is so cynical, it's so pessimistic, it's so negative. Um, there are plenty of reasons why. Uh, we're not saying that there aren't good reasons to right. feel that way. But, you know, Zachary felt that there was, it was such an unbalance, you know, that we were paying so much attention to what's going wrong that there was this like a self-fulfilling prophecy around that, you know, like if you are sure that everything is going to, you know, SHIT, I don't know if I can curse on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. If for sure everything's going to shit, you know, you increase the odds that we re everything is going to go to shit. So the Progress Network was based around this idea of like, let's try to get the thinkers, the intellectuals, policy leaders and setters, basically people in the zeitgeist that are approaching things more constructively, that are approaching things, you know, that aren't from knee-jerk partisan hostility, that are approaching things with a solutions-oriented mindset. Let's get all those people together um, and see what comes of that. So we were supposed to launch uh, in the spring of 2019. And we had, you know, like, the world is going to probably be better guys. Like let's, let's all band together on that idea. And then of course, the spring of 2019, the pandemic struck, we were like, Oh, Oh, you, mean you know, 2020. This... No, it was the spring of, wasn't it the spring of 2009? Oh, sorry. No. 2020. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I know this. 
there's this pandemic time warp thing that happens. I yes. I hear you. <laughs> yes. It was the winter of 2019. That's right. Um, I was actually it was in China when the pandemic hit China. That was the winter of 2019, moving into the oh, spring my. of 2020. That's right. Thank you. So, yeah, we were supposed to launch in the spring of 2020. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, this idea of an organization of like the world is going to, you know, the future <laughs> is going to be better. We were like, oh, yeah, this is not this is not going to fly. So, <laughs> we, it's um, almost cruel if it did. <laughs> yeah yeah so we paused the launch um and then we ended up launching in october of 2020 so like right before the 2020 election um with a little bit of a different mission which was number one yes let's pay attention to all the things that are going right and and kind of give people a more balanced perspective on that but also be let's actually push for the solutions that we want let's push for the things that are going to you know progress humanity and get humanity into a better place and what does that look like so it had a little bit more of a proactive stance um, than the original idea so now we've been in existence for a couple of years and we have uh, lots of stuff going on we have a newsletter that goes out every week to almost sixty thousand people wow we have a podcast um that we've had a few hundred thousand downloads across a handful of seasons and um we are on all social channels so we're our latest was tiktok we've gone viral on tiktok a few times uh so whoa i i I applaud you for jumping into the tiktok waters yes oh yeah that is the wild wild west i'm telling you and and (laughs) you know i'm a millennial so it's like i'm i'm considered completely old on tiktok i know but can you imagine what it looks like uh from the perspective of us boomers you know yes (laughs) i kind of feel the same um so yeah so so just to answer your last question about you know who you think our our readers and listeners are um what's interesting is that it, it seems to really vary across platforms um i definitely feel like we're probably hitting people who want to be informed they want to know what's going on they're intellectual people but they're tired um they're tired of just <laughs> being you know having negativity shoved down their throats I, right. I i like to think a lot about the silent exhausted majority in the u.s that's like you know a common phrase you hear these days that people are just kind of like i don't want to hear anything else about just republicans and democrats being at each other's throats just just give exactly. me the facts, you know, give me, just tell me what's going on without telling me that like we're constantly in crisis or the world is going to end, you know, tomorrow. Um, so that's who I see as our, as our, as our readers and listeners. Um, and it's across ages. Uh, oh, so uh-huh. I wonder about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the, the kind of like the platform thing. Like we found that it really does just match who's on the platform. So like our viewers on Facebook tend to skew older than our, you know, people on TikTok right. and then the people that, um subscribe to our original content like the newsletter and the podcast it tends to span span demographics in terms of age yeah great that's it it's so interesting um i'll just tell you um before i tell you that i've tried to catch up with your podcast and i did sign up for your newsletter that was recently so i haven't read much but um uh, just a couple things but you're a good writer, so I know I'm going to enjoy it. Um, but I, I did, uh, uh, I, I did try to like do like a cram session on your on podcast episodes, and I, I have to tell you, my first thought about um, what could go right, I thought it might be really saccharine and icky. 
Um, mm. he, that, my, that was like an instinct I had. And um, boy, was I surprised and and pleasantly surprised. And I remember the first one I started listening to, I thought, oh, this is cool. This is deep. This is awesome. They have great people on. I mean, it's really good. And and they're they're not always skewing it towards the good. I mean, they're not like um uh the monkey with the eyes and the ears closed, mm. you know. That's when or then you're not like um then there there's there's no sort of like uh positive bypassing or spiritual bypassing involved. It's really it's the real deal. Um and so I just was found it very interesting and the guests are informative. Um and it's and the podcast subjects that you cover like are like this um you know, each each one. I like how you like summarize the news and you play clips inside. It's a. I'm I'm trying to. I'm I'm promoting here. By the way, if you. Have <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Making my job easy. <laughs> well, I just want people to know from my perspective because I don't come at it from the same perspective that the way in which you're talking about it. So I want people who maybe are my listeners to say, "Yeah, I'll give it a try." Right. Um, but you covered, I noticed you covered so much ground in the three seasons that you have been alive there. Uh, you know, you climb, I had a list that it's just a haphazard list, like climate momentum. So not climate disaster, climate mm-hmm. momentum, although that's hard to say after this recent earthquake in Turkey, but, um, counteracting misinformation politics there's a lot of politics on there which i was surprised about because it is such a negative territory but you find ways to um lighten the load a little bit a gay marriage crypto crime (laughs) race the of course the pandemic um work capitalism education even wokeness, my goodness, and more. So, um, so there you go. I, I, that was my little plug and I meant it. Um, I, I do enjoy it because i people know who listen to my podcast that I'm a podcast addict. So I guess, you know, I, I just listen to almost everything. So, but I, that gives me a fine ear, I think for what's interesting and what is it. And yours is interesting each, cause each one of your episodes, I noticed, requires a a bigger commitment of time mm. and thought you know you can't just listen as oh this is background it's entertaining oh this is a, you know how people listen to little like crime stories and this on their po- i mean you have to think to listen to your guests and it's such a break from you know uh headline you know, baits, baiting headlines and, you know, doom scrolling and all the stuff that happens. And, you know, for people who have um, uh, uh, criticisms about social media and and the algorithms and this and that, um, which I do, but I also think I I cannot think of life without what we have. Mm. I just, it's offers so much, but, you know, I think that, we've lost our attention span Mm. and I think your podcast would be like a good homework to redevelop your attention span. (laughs) I love that. I, I, I I really love thinking, I I love that you pointed out that it does require some thought um, because Uh I do think that 
something that goes along with the overwhelm of the information landscape, just like the sheer amount of information well, um, yeah. that yeah, that people are subjected to every day is that I think that people also just want easy answers. Um, yep. People are busy. You can't really take in what's going on um, on the level of news every day in a substantive way without a serious amount of, of time given. And what comes along with that is that people just kind of want to be told like, this is the opinion, think this. Um, and I totally understand that because like I too, you know, if this weren't my job, I would also have a limited amount of time <laughs> to give, you know, to consuming the news. Um, but I do think that being an informed citizen does require some, some thought and it does require some time. And we kind of seriously believe in everybody's power to, deal with these issues in a substantive way um i also really appreciate the fact that you pointed out that it is substantive because when we started the organization especially before we launched and people saw what kind of content that we were putting out a lot of people would say oh it's like a good news organization and i was kind of like it's it's not quite that you know it's not not that but when I think good news, I think of like, you know, yarn projects and golden retrievers, like <laughs> hugging children and, you know, and like not oh, everyone right. loves a yarn project, you know, and I love dogs, you know, but that's just not, that's oh. not what we put out. We put out like real substantive progress on issues right. and we do deal with difficult issues. Like we definitely don't shy away from talking about um, climate change or talking about police shootings in the U.S. or politics in the U.S. or just any any kind of issue that like you know, truly needs to be uh, confronted. Um, it's just that we do it in a in a in an approach that's a little bit different from what you hear a lot in the media, which is like we're not trying to go after ratings. We're not. I mean, obviously, we want people to listen and enjoy the show right, and the right. newsletter, but that's not the point. Uh, the point is like we really do look at the data and there's a really heavy emphasis, particularly in the newsletter and on the podcast about like this is what the data shows, you know, like like let's actually look if this problem is getting better or not. And a lot of the time what's interesting is that the problem is getting better while the public perception of it is getting worse. Yeah. Isn't that sort of like, I think my listeners know, and I shared it with you at the beginning, my, one of my previous careers was uh, broadcasting. I was in television broadcasting. So, and I was an engineer and I <clears throat> switched the news. It meant I sat behind one of those big consoles and, you know, did newscasts day after day after day after day after day. <laughs> but 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 this was back during the Cronkite era. You know, it was very different um, than it is now. And and it's like, uh, you know, you know, you, you people think that, well, first of all, news is the whole point of news. And this is the same with newspapers or anything in social media, those clickbait headlines. It almost has to be negative to get attention. Now, mm. it wasn't the same then, I don't think, prior to the deregulation of the broadcast industry because of Reagan. He deregulated mm. the industry, mm -hmm. deregulated broadcasting at the same time as he deregulated the uh, airline industry. Um, I'm not being political here. It's just the truth. And because of that... Um, there was no, there was no standardization. Nobody had to live up to any sort of standards. And uh, from my boomer perspective, I and from being in broadcasting, I saw it just 
tumble down, you know, just, and, and so now it's just about, let me out negative you in my headline, which had, or, or my, my, my clickbait on, on Facebook or, or Twitter or whatever. And that's how people will read. And, you know, and that's, I think that's why we've lost our attention span. So, you know, you, you're absolutely right in what you think. But also, I do think people would be turned off. It's like we don't want another one of those feel good, you know, networks, right? Because Right, yeah. Now, how does that help? I mean, it might make you feel good for a minute. It's like watching cat videos. Yeah, you laugh. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? In the end, you still, crappy stuff still happens and you still got to deal with it, right? Right, yeah. And it's it's definitely not meant to be escapism the way, you know, cat videos have a place in our lives, okay? Everyone wants to watch cat video every (laughs) once in a while. I'm not going to begrudge them. A cat video, I do it too. But um it has a minimal role, right? Like we, yeah. we we want to not only, like I said, shift the balance a little bit so that people do understand there's a lot going on that's that's good. It's just not focus on in the news, but it's also just kind of training a new mindset yeah. um, for how to how to deal with the news and kind of like deal with the world that that we have right now. So I see it in that way as well. It's kind of like a slow mindset shift and mass. Um, yeah. And I'm so also, by the way, so glad that you brought up Reagan's deregulation of the, the TV news industry, because I find this to be like such a pivotal moment in U.S. news history and almost oh, nobody yeah. knows about it. And so like when I talk about it with passion, people are like, OK, and I'm like, what no, are you talking like, this about? Is, <laughs> yeah, like, this is really important, you know, um, but it's really hard to find anyone that knows that that happened. And that's why we had the rise of some really uh irresponsible news networks um and i'm not pointing figures on the right or the left and uh, it's there's irresponsibility in a lot of the media sphere these days um to various extremes and uh the thing that i was going to say about that also in terms of like the the competition that you mentioned of the negativity and you know out negativity out negativity the other is is two things so so one thing that came out recently that was really interesting was that a team of researchers in a new zealand university did a study on uh us headlines in the last 20 years and the U.S. actually has had a rise in negative headlines that you can point. It's tangible. It's not just in our heads. It's tangible. There's a rise in the use of negative emotions like disgust, anger, fear, all kinds of things. And I, I don't remember the exact breakdowns now, but there were certain emotions that the left used more and certain emotions that the right used more um, in terms of media. And the second thing is that the U.S. was also an anomaly when it came to COVID. Like we were particularly negative in our news coverage of COVID, like more so than European nations. And I gotta I think, say, I'm not surprised. Maybe it's because yeah. we handled it worse. I don't know. Maybe we didn't. Well, I don't know. There was that partisan. Yeah. The, the the polarization that happened in the U.S. was certainly like you didn't see that in like Portugal, for instance, right? Okay, um, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. But I do think what in in line with this idea of like trying to empower people to deal with the news better um the media has done a lot to make this problem worse but unless you work in the media there's this you're kind of limited on you know what can be done about this but as a reader what you and as a viewer and a listener what you can do is understand that the news is incentivized by clicks 
So when you see right. a negative headline and you click on it, like they know that, you know, they're yeah. like, oh, you like this. Let me give you more <laughs> of this, you know? So um, it's a it's a feedback loop, right? Like there is some power in the hands of the news consumer to tell the news what they would like to look at. And if they keep looking at things that incite fear and rage and disgust and all this stuff, like they're going to keep giving that to you. Exactly. It's like I explain to friends all the time. It's like they'll say to me, Cause I'm like a COVID freak. Um, cause I, <laughs> I admit it, right. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'll be getting my PhD in virology soon. Trust me. I mean, <laughs> it's going to happen, <laughs> but, but no, um, I have, um, systemic lupus. So I'm an Im- immunocompromised person and I almost have to be, uh, more aware than mm-hmm. the average person because, and it, but unfortunately, because I have to be more aware, and this is this is I'm telling this from a Buddhist ignorance perspective, I become hyper vigilant um, and then see people who don't wear masks as my enemies. Right. Mm. <laughs> so so it's like um, the, the I don't know where I was going with this. Um, it, was, it was something in response to what you were saying. But the the. Uh, the negative headlines. Um, oh yeah. I explained to friends that they'll come to me cause they know I'm like this and they'll say, did you see, did you read that the pandemic was over and did you read this and did you read that? And I, I always say, where did you get that? What was, the, what was the source? Did they do a study? Was it peer reviewed? How many people did they survey? And it's like people have lost their ability to th- think like that or something. I I don't know. They just, and they look at me like, oh, you geek. I don't even want to talk to you. You know, I'm going to say it's so interesting you say that because like I made the opposite point on one of our podcast episodes about the pandemic. I think this was like season two or something with um, Nicholas Christakis. Oh oh, yeah. I follow him. Yes. Yeah. And Zeke Emanuel. And I was like, don't you guys think that we're all a little bit more like scientifically educated now, like post pandemic? Like there were, there's just a lot of terms that I just didn't expect the lay public, including myself, because I'm not a scientist, uh, to know. And all of a sudden, everyone's talking about like herd immunity and like, you know, <laughs> right, the, right. The, all, I don't know, all this stuff. Um, and I, I kind of felt that that was helpful in a way. But I do agree with you that it's really hard to parse the quality in particular of studies and i feel like journalists don't do a particularly good job explaining like why we care if it was peer-reviewed or not and how many people were in the study and like what constitutes like an acceptable number of people like there's just some like basic information i think that's not traveling from academia through journalism to the lay public um and I don't know if I have any answers to that. <laughs> but- well, I but I I no, that's a great way to because uh, what you're what I'm hearing you say is that um and I agree with this. I I've always thought this is again since that time when journalism was true journalism, and I always sound like you know an old fogey like you know I had to walk ten miles to school <laughs> and uh, and, I, and I hate when I say it and I hear myself saying it, but it's true. Um. There was a time when journalism was journalism and wasn't talking heads fighting with each other. That There was mm. that time. It was really good. Um, but the thing about it is, is I think they thought if, if you, you know, if you expect someone to be at this level dumb or ignorant, you talk to them that way. Mm. And if you continue to talk to them that way, how will they ever 
elevate, right? How will they ever get to the point where they know what the heck you're talking about if you get any deeper? It's just like, it's the it's the training like you said it's like you know you like that we'll give you more of that like social network you know i mean it's like it's just like that so let's talk let's get deep into this whole progress thing because i think this is what we want to hit when it comes to looking at it in relationship to buddhism i don't in my introduction i introduced you as a a buddhist practitioner mm-hmm. um and So that's why you're here. I mean, it's not just, but it's also, this is a great subject, I think, because um, in Buddhism, we talk a lot about um, views and perspective and um, whether we are um, responding or reacting. That's like right action, right? It's one of the uh, one of the eightfold path. Are we responding or reacting? And one of our goals is equanimity, the ability to take in life as it happens without unreasonable reactivity, right? Without grasping onto what we want to hear and pushing away what we don't want to hear. Now, obviously, I'll speak for myself as a practitioner. That doesn't mean any of us have got any of this sus because I certainly (laughs) don't. Oh, now I'm, I'm about as reactive of a person that I can't imagine anybody being more reactive. <laughs> but that's why I need my practice. So, but let's get into this. That this whole progress network thing kind of bothered me. I'll tell you the mm. truth. That word progress. Um uh progress to me, like typical, typical, it bothered me as a Buddhist. Okay, it's bothered me as a Buddhist. Um Typical definitions would be, you know, forward movement or or momentum or then there's the positive direction versus the negative direction. So, you know, it's all this duality, really. Advancement, improvement, right? And don't all these concepts imply a goal, right? And I, a lot of time, get people who are just coming to Buddhism and just studying Buddhism and they'll say, well, if I'm not supposed to grasp onto anything, if I'm not supposed to grasp onto a goal, then should I not want anything? Should I not save my money? Should I not plan for retirement? Mm -hmm. Blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. So there's always this sort of, uh, there's always this sort of tug between these two concepts. Can you talk more of that about that from your view and, why in the heck you named it progress? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I should say, you know, I'm a Buddhist, but the organization as a whole is not, it's not Buddhist. Right. So it's, it doesn't, it's not, it's not under that rubric, you know, it doesn't have to answer those questions I as got, an organization, yeah. Yeah. but I can answer those questions, you know, from my own personal perspective, which is that I think it's kind of like a category error sometimes where um, I don't think that Buddhism I don't necessarily go to go down the engaged Buddhism point of view where that Buddhism says that we need to get involved in various social justice projects. But I also don't think that Buddhism says that there's a problem with wanting to fix material issues. Right. Um, there, for me, there's a difference between, you know, like we said, talking about reactivity, talking about equanimity, talking about all these things that really come from the inner world 
versus like real tangible progress that you can make in the outer world. So when we talk about progress and we talk about uh, far fewer children dying before the age of five or, you know, the cancer mortality rate in the U.S. dropping in the last 30 years. Like there, there's a lot of like these very tangible points of progress that we talk about on the, the progress network. Um, there's that. Right. And yeah. then there is also the thing that I don't find to be a category error with the progress network where it's more of a like an ideas network and a sensibility of approach in that it does put forward very much so this non-reactive non-reactive response that good point one problem that happens with the news these days is that everything is painted with the same level of like red fire alarm and everything <laughs> feels urgent right and some things yeah. are like really urgent and some things are red you know big the pandemic okay this is a great example yes. you know? <laughs> good point yeah but just because something is urgent doesn't always mean that like knowing that something is urgent or thinking that something is urgent sometimes can lead to a reaction that's not helpful right like yeah. you don't sit and think things through you know you don't uh really take into consideration whether like this means as a way to an end is really worth the price of whatever you know price <laughs> that you may pay um so there i find like this this buddhist idea of making progress is like actually totally compatible with with uh yeah, the, the, the Buddhist view on that is totally compatible with like the progress on that. And I feel like there's kind of like the inner progress and the outer progress, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense, you know, because goals are tricky in Buddhism. I, I and it's a it's it's a sticking point with a lot of people new to Buddhism. And then you have to talk about, well, they're, you know, I, I, I think they're in one of the sutras The you know, Buddha said in answer to somebody who asked that question it's like um um i mean just my, well i think he said you know there are good goals and there are bad goals essentially mm -hmm. uh and and, is, and that's why the eightfold path i mean when the buddha had this first turning of the wheel where he explained what happened to him how he saw his enlightenment let's face it the buddha was just he was just a regular guy stumbling around making jerky decisions. I mean, he, you know, he he didn't like what he saw as suffering, so he went and joined the 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 ascetics, and he starved himself nearly to death. I mean, this just shows that we're all pretty ignorant. He was ignorant. He tried to do something in a dumb way. But unless we're trained in a way to do things differently, and I hear, that's what I'm hearing you say about the way you explain things on your podcast. And that's what I hear on your podcast. It's like, well, how can you think that? How are, you know, maybe let's think this. Did you ever think this? And it's like just giving the opposite view without talking heads, screaming at each other about the opposite view. And so um, I think the Buddhist simple message was that it was, you know, that we were grasping at our outcomes, our expectations, and that was the root cause of our suffering. And progress does carry the sense of progress, the way most of us would think about it, does carry kind of a heaping helping of grasping, right? But because but, um, it's like um, ends equal ends equals means. It's, 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 I mean, or means equals ends. I always do that dyslexia or something um so um but you know the point that the buddha was trying to get at always and was 
that he found that grasping was what caused our suffering, which in my term, I, I always use the word expectations. People get mm. expectations. Grasping is hard. It's like, well, I'm not greedy and I'm not this and I'm not that. But yes, you do have expectations and ex- those expectations, not there's anything wrong to have expectations, but if you live based on your expectations, you will constantly be disappointed and you will always be unsatisfied. Take it from me. I just had my 70th birthday. And you know how you have an expectation about like the big decade birthdays that somehow they're going to be kind of special or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, and you would think by the time you're 70, you had gotten over that concept. <laughs> no, huh? <laughs> I had a really crappy day on my birthday. Aww. No, no particular reason. Just normal everyday crappiness. Right. But it was like, how dare these things happen on my 70th birthday? And what a lesson that was to me. I mean, that's what the Buddha was saying. He was, you know, he was, that's what he was teaching about. When you're good, when you got to have those expectations, you are bound to suffer. So thinking about this from the perspective of progress, let's say if suffering, if getting, you know, to put it in everyday Buddhism perspective, right? To, if suffering wasn't our goal and getting rid of suffering isn't our goal, um, the progress we're trying to make, okay, what, where we're trying to get other than, you know, the Mahayana view, view of freeing all beings from suffering, which of course is impossible. So, you know, we just, we'll write that out and just say that we're just going to try to free ourselves. But what, what is the goal? Is it happiness? I, you know, the Dalai Lama says, it's happiness that that's that's what he says, you know, and I think we've kind of circled around this. We've danced around it before. From my personal practice point of view, it's more about stopping rather than going. Mm. You know, it's more about and I think you said that when we were talking about how your podcast makes you think it's more about reflecting, pausing. Um, sometimes taking a backward step because you've gone too far in the wrong direction. And, and you say, no, I keep doing these same stupid things over and over again. I got to stop and see why I keep doing these things and make myself so reactive. And the whole point then I think is to learn how to be kinder to myself and then therefore kinder to others. Can you say something about this as far as and maybe from your own personal practice. Yeah. So let me let me talk a little bit about the progress network when it comes to expectations. I just want to go back there really quickly, if you don't mind. Okay. I really enjoyed what you said about that. And what you said about, you know, like stopping and reflecting. I think I mentioned before, like the ethos of the progress network is 100% a sensibility. So like we actually don't have like any course in any particular race um it's a sensibility of like you said like just taking a second and understanding also like you said that in in this wider goal uh you know there's a lot of volatility there's there's step forwards there's step backs there's this there's that there's a lot of complex systems at play and there's this weird sense of yes we want to make progress in the sense of like we want the world to be a better place or you know in terms of our personal buddhist practice you can talk about like you want to be a better person you want to suffer right. a little bit less right and and, right. and help and help others suffer a little bit less um 
But there's this thing that I find myself trying to do with the progress network, which is the relaxing or the releasing of people's expectations that um, we've, that we're, even like an expectation is okay, but if you're holding too tightly to it, you know, you start gripping it, you know, and it's just right. like that, like, ah, death grip kind of thing. Like, that's <laughs> what causes a lot of the emotional turmoil. And realizing, like you said, in terms of my Hayana Buddhism, okay, we we release, we free all beings from suffering. That's a utopia. That's never going to happen. Same thing with right. the Progress Network in terms of like, you're never going to... I don't think anyway that we're ever going to live in a utopia where there's <laughs> everything has been solved. It's about the approach, right? Like right. It's, it's what is your approach and you're never going to stop the, you know, some influx of suffering. So how are you dealing with that? What's your approach? What's the sensibility? And, and in changing that, you do release a lot, a lot of the, the turmoil. Um, what's tough to do around that is like, it's tough in a Buddhist context. It's, it's, it's just, it's part of the the waters that we're swimming in. And when you get out yeah. of the Buddhist context and you're just talking to people about like literal lives at stake, it's really hard to tell people chill out. <laughs> you know, like no, really. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. It's like, yeah, don't react. You know, mm-hmm. I know we're in a pandemic and you you lost your mother, you lost your job, you lost your, but just chill. <laughs> this is just right. This is a nature. Well, it's it's like the the Buddhist poet, the Zen poet, who talked about the the uh the world of do is a world of do and yet and yet after he lost his last, he lost like all of his children. Mm-hmm. And that and, and and it's like, you know, we all know death has happened, happens. We all know about impermanence. And I think the wake up call of the pandemic was that, well, it was a wake up call for some, for some other others just ran away and wouldn't look at it. Um, but yes, you're right. It's like it's very hard to in, you know, to step in in front of a person who's suffering in the midst of suffering in life and say, well, that's, you know, go, go, go door to door and get the mustard seed from the house where someone hasn't died. You can't do that now. (laughs) It's very difficult. It's very difficult to have that conversation at a, at a, on a, basically on a political level and on a a nationwide level of, yes, we want to, you know, try to fix these circumstances as best as possible to save as many people as possible. But it does have to be married with this understanding that like, even if we do the best job that can possibly be done, whatever that would look like, right? Like with with the pandemic and 350 plus million people or whatever that looks like, (laughs) that there is going to be death and suffering. And like how we respond to that is also part of the equation. Um, I feel like that kind of spiritual or religious or whatever you feel, whatever element you want to, you want to call that is very much so missing in our discourse. And it makes sense, you know, because so many people are non-religious these days. And of course, particularly in the U S you have separation of church and state and it, and it makes sense, you know? Yeah, Um, exactly. But at the same time, there does seem to be like this dearth of this dearth of reckoning with the human condition a little bit. Like I, absolutely. I yeah. wish I could see that a little bit more. And, and we talk about this on the podcast, and it's part of the reason why we have such a breadth of topics is that we feel like things are very siloed these days. Like, you know, you can talk yeah. about the economy, but you certainly can't talk about the economy and um, your emotional turmoil that you had when your 70th birthday didn't go, you know, the way that you wanted <laughs> to. But but why not? Like, why can't we have those those conversations? You know, even sometimes spiritual podcasts, like they're like, just talk about spiritual stuff and it's like why like we're all living on this earth we're all dealing with you know 
figuring out what the heck crypto is and, you know, our relationships <laughs> and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So like, why can't we have a full conversation? Yeah. Well, that's, that's funny because, uh, um, you know, I think during, during the pandemic, I, I got kind of cynical and negative because I was a COVID freak and I admit to this, um, I admit to it through hindsight more than I admitted to it while I was there. <laughs> Always easier in hindsight. <laughs> you no, know, it's easy now. <laughs> but but I used to get these comments from the, you know, uh, like Apple's I Apple iTunes or Apple music or whatever they call it these days. Um, you can't respond to reviews, right? They just leave reviews. There's some places where you can respond to reviews, but other places you can't. So I would get these reviews about you know, conservatives not welcome on this podcast. And mm. um, this is a great podcast, but every once in a while I hear the tone of her voice when she's about to go all lib on us. And, and you know, and, you know, and then um, this is the most woke podcast ever. And it's like, but it was impossible to talk about what was happening during those times without sort of bordering into the politics. And I'd always say, this is not about politics, but I have to say this, you know, if I don't say this, then somehow our whole frame of re reference is screwed up. You know, you're right. It's very, it's very hard. I, I mean, it, it drove me nuts too, because it was like, okay, so now I'm not going to say anything. And then what, what will I talk about? <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard because people are really like on a trigger hair. And I've noticed this we don't get a lot of live feedback on the podcast, but in the on the newsletter in particular, which I write every week, um, I really try to write it from a nonpartisan perspective. It's probably tinged a little bit left just because my personal politics are tinged a little bit left. I would well, call it, myself like center left. But it's funny, like the the emails that you get from people on the right and on the left that are just like you, you know, like they find something that you just and you're they assume that you're this way, you assume that you're that way. And you're like, well, actually, <laughs> like, that's not how I am at all. But you find like one little thing that you disagree with. And it's just full like, oh, I know who you are now. I know what you think. I know this. I know that. And we yeah. all do it on the right and the left to each other. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just it's, so easy. It's, mm -hmm. it's the enemy thing. It's the it's the it's like Master Shanti Deva who wrote the way of the Bodhisattva. He talks about he gives you practices on how to go through this, how to deal with as he called them childish people, right? Who mm -hmm. who 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 like like just bite your head off for any kind of thing. And then he 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 talks about how he sees that in himself and he talks about and he's really pretty funny because he's like oh, what force has captured me you know what, what like it's like i have an alien side, uh, side that <laughs> does this to me i don't want it to happen but it always happens you know but you you want to say that to these people who are on the hair trigger because you want to have them to stop and think but you could never do that you could never do that because they would never stop to listen to you <laughs> yeah i I kind of think I like um I haven't read the uh, I haven't read Chanty Deva in like years now but um 
I like how he's describing it with a little bit of a touch of humor because we try to he do does. that on Progress Network too. You'd be a little bit playful when you're a little bit playful with things. Like it becomes easier to admit like, oh yeah, I was just kind of an asshole about that. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, you know, that's my inner Karen coming out or whatever. Um, but to have that kind of playfulness, I think that you need to have trust first. And I think like that's, you know, the right. epidemic of trust among the American people in particular is is bad. I will say that, I do appreciate, for instance, I did a newsletter last week about um, Tyree Nichols, and I used a phrase, I said, systematic culture of police brutality, which is a very lefty phrase. And I thought about it before I used it. Yeah, I was like, definitely. do I, can I back this up, you know? And someone had wrote in a very, very kind email being like, listen, I understand that there are issues, but like, I really don't agree with this phrase. And he sent me, you know, his reasons why. And I wrote back to him and he wrote back to me and like, we're having like a really nice exchange. Like, obviously we're, we we're not exactly on the, you know, same side of the, I don't want to say the same side of the issue. We don't see the issue the same way. Right. Um, but it was really nice. Like you realize that like, if you can just bring those people who are in that mindset or like willing to go into that mindset together, like we could really get ourselves out of this. <laughs> well, you actually that. Exactly. That would be progress. Like, because, and I think about that. I think about, oh, you know, of course we have our negativity bias from psychology. It's like, you know, I remember these, I remember the knucklehead comments, you know, these ones that scream at me for no reason mm -hmm. at all. Um, yet they are probably like, uh, like 1% of the comments I get. Right. But that's what I remember. I forget all the good comments. But, you know, it's like because I've had people like that, too, that are willing to have a back and forth discussion on email. And it's it's beautiful. And you see now if I could just sit down and talk to somebody like on the podcast about this question. But I've asked like three people. They wouldn't do it. Three people who called me woke. I, they they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. They there is. Uh, the one was a minister, uh, a born again minister, and he was afraid his church would uh, not like it. So, ah, interesting. Okay, yeah. yeah. There was this phrase I cannot remember now who said this and what the exact phrase was, but there was something about like you want to find people who. Oh gosh, I'm so annoyed that I can't remember because it was so nicely put that. You, you don't want to waste basically time on the people that are on the trigger hair, but if you can find people with a little bit of give and you can give a little bit of give, like that's kind of where the, the magic right. happens. Yeah. Um, and it feels so good when it does happen because you think, Oh, this is possible. We could have this, um, getting more. I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I had a few more subjects to broach. Is that okay? Yep, um, Definitely getting more into the progress weed, so to speak. Um, since we, we already, we can't always be forward, right? We've already said we go back sometimes and have to correct ourselves. And I think the world is like that. You know, our economy is like that. Our, our, our you know, let's face it, our politics in the United States, liberal, conservative, liberal, conservative, liberal, conservative, you know, um, we we won't say anything about the characterization of those two things, but that keeps happening um, and didn't used to because it used to be much more um, bipartisan. So we didn't have that swing. Um, you know, again, my boomerism is showing, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, isn't that the natural state of things to have um, 
because of uncertainty, because of interdependence uh, and emptiness. Um, isn't life, isn't nature, isn't everything cyclical, waves, phases, attack and decay, you know, like Nirvana and Samsara are two sides of the same coin. Um, progress must have its, to be progress, progress must have its like sort of retrograde phase, if you will. I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be all Peter Thiele here about, you know, <laughs> the great stagnation or anything, but <laughs> Maybe I am. I don't know. You. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> um, what I have to say is this, is that like, I think sometimes when people talk about progress and they have like that word in their mind, they're just thinking like a straight shot through, like, <laughs> here we go. Right. And like, oh, definitely. It's not like that. Right. Um, there's definitely going to be there's that famous quote from Barack Obama, you know, where he was saying, like, if you had to choose any moment of history to be born you would choose now, right? If right. you're a woman or a minority right. or whatever. And that might not be true in certain particular places of the world or like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, this month on this year was a bad time, whatever. But like on the overall arc, that's where we see the progress. So for me, it's like it's a zooming out that helps so that it does kind of look like this, not a straight line, but it looks more like a line the more you zoom out. But the more you zoom in, the more you see it's like, nee, 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 back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> but there are definitely some things and I'm, I don't think this is clear for everything. And again, like I and the, the network, actually, we don't have a particular horse in the race to tell you, like, we are definitely making progress. It's just more so that we're trying to pay more attention to it. To the progress, but, yeah. Yeah, but I do think that there are some things that you do see despite a little bit of the fluctu fluctuations back and forth that like the things are definitely better. You know, like the 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 child mortality rates that I mentioned, rates of poverty, like those are undeniably better. There's a really interesting thing going on now with LGBTQ rights where like again if you zoom in, you see the fluctuations. If you zoom out, you realize that like the number of countries where homosexuality is illegal or they don't legalize same-sex marriage is shrinking slowly slowly Absolutely. slowly slowly um and you know or the ukraine war is another great example um i think a lot of people saw that as just like oh like humans are always going to have war and violence and this and that but it was also like a particular fluctuation in a period of long peace and in a period of you know if you follow stephen pinker's work of far fewer right far fewer wars than we've wars. seen you know across history and far less violence so there are actually like metrics, you know, where, where we're doing much better and where like, I don't, I totally agree with you. I don't think it's ever going to be a straight line. And this is where it comes also from the like, what can we do to like keep this going question? It becomes part of that because it's not guaranteed. A lot of people in the progress community say that a lot, like your progress is not guaranteed. There's nothing to say that um, our fears might pan out tomorrow and we will have nuclear holocaust or AI will take over or whatever, you know, choose your <laughs> apocalyptic outcome. Uh, We're not saying that that definitely won't happen. It might happen. But yeah. if it happens, and Zachary says this a lot, it's not for lack of talking about that. Like we talk about that plenty. So let's talk about something else and see if we can get it going in that direction. That That's awesome. And that is, 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 you know, um, Another thing that in in the email that you sent me to reach out um, 
this and I don't know whether you actually wrote this or whether you're promotion likely person. not but I probably saw it at some point <laughs> I mean I, I'm going to be honest here a lot of people don't understand that you get guests because people say couldn't they be my the guest because they have a book or a podcast or whatever um but I liked the concept and um, it was, I'm going to quote it, applying the concept of Buddha nature to the world, just as anyone can become a Buddha, the belief that the world can improve underpins any action to improve it. I I like that. It's intriguing. Um, It does sort of go against Buddhist cosmology of the three, Mm. the the three ages, since we are in the degenerate age of Mapo um, or, and, you know, and in thinking about, I mean, I'm agnostic about a lot of stuff. I have to say, that's why I have everyday Buddhism. I'm not a secular Buddhist because I do have some ritualistic and some, I have a lot of um, heart in my Buddhism. Um, But so I'm, I'm, I'm agnostic about this kind of stuff. But then again, when you read, the sutra de- the sutra that talks about the age of mapo which is for people who don't know there there's three stages according to buddhist cosmology and there's a lot of weird stuff in buddhist cosmology so just mm. take it from me it is out there but um <clears throat> the, there are three stages and the third stage is it happens supposedly happens about 2000 years after the buddha's death bingo this is where we are and and it's supposed to last about 10,000 years Ooh, that's scary. But in in the Sutra to the Great Assembly, this is where this came from. They describe it as the age of conflict. And this is a quote, quarrels and disputes will arise among the adherents to my teachings and the pure Dharma will become obscured and lost. In this later age, when society is disordered, Shakyamuni's Buddhism will lose its power to benefit the people as people born into the latter day of the Dharma do not have the seed of Buddha who had sewn into them. Now, you know, I, as I'm saying, I sort of hesitate to even bring this up um, since you're about positivity, I'm about positivity. But at the same time, it's kind of hard not to see our age in that quote, right? It's like, but at the same time, to use the way you guys train our minds in your podcast and newsletter, at the same time, if you looked at any age from that angle, you'd probably see quarrels and i mean i'm the like in the the age of the japanese feudalism age when there was the tendai monastery and shinran and and honan left the monastery i mean that was there were wars and 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 all sorts of horrible things that we don't quite have and famine and like you don't you don't hear a lot about famine anymore, except in like in some parts of the world you do, but it's not like all over Europe and it's not. So, you know, it's easy to see that. But then again, it's, uh, you know, it's. It, I think it, you, your point is well taken about whether you're using a magnifying glass or binoculars to <laughs> look at this, right? Yeah. And I, I think, I think you answered my question for me. I, I think that's the, that's the thing, right? That exactly that you pointed out that humans are a little bit obsessed with like, they're a little bit obsessed with like the challenges that we're dealing with now are like the biggest challenges. Like this is the one, you know? <laughs> um, And like, maybe it is, but maybe it isn't, you know? And, and exactly what you just said, like, 
there are also a lot of challenges that we don't deal with anymore. We deal with on a, on a much smaller scale uh, than we used to. And I think, you know, no knock to Buddhist cosmology because I am in the Buddhist tradition. Um, but I do think that like a little bit like astrology, when you want to <laughs> see something, you see it, you see right? It. <laughs> so I can hear that and I can think to myself, oh, yeah, well, it's tough to meet an enlightened person these days, you know, and I've heard all these stories about blah, blah, blah. But you could also look at that the other way and say, yeah, but right now Buddhism is flourishing across the entire world. Like that didn't happen, you know, right. uh, thousands of years ago. And I'm not I'm sure that an argument can be made about whether <laughs> whether that's for the ill or for the better. <laughs> exactly. But, but the point is that argument can be made in either way, right? It's it's I think it's an interesting little reflective mirror um to take something like that. And 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 I think that it just reflects a little bit of the zeitgeist are in now and a little bit of just like what I said before, just humans humans are just really preoccupied with like <laughs> this time is the worst time. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, while we had there's a couple of interesting things that I think have framed it, especially around the pandemic. It's like um, well, and also around Buddhism, it's like, um, number one is like, I'm always struck and I can't, and I never stop thinking about it. I've written a lot of Substack articles that I've never published about this because I can't quite get the <laughs> words out, <laughs> but it just keeps spinning around in my head. It's like, there was never, I've talked about it a lot in my podcast though. It's like, I don't think there was ever a time in the world where we had like a great plague right? That everybody knew about at the same time. Mm -hmm. And because we're all interconnected. So there was this momentary, and I used the word momentary purposely, <laughs> this momentary sense of togetherness that quickly eroded into divisiveness, at least in our country, definitely in our country. I know other countries didn't have that. I don't think as much. I don't you live in Greece. I don't know where I don't know where you were during the pan the 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 pandemic, but you know, we had those moments of the, you know, people in New York City applauding for the 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 healthcare workers, but now you can't even get anybody to care about wearing a mask. So, you know, it's like it's 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 a it's a very interesting thing about how it is, but I really think that was so unusual and so good in some ways because I read a book about the pandemic of um uh you know the great flu influenza pandemic, which um my grandmother actually lived through and got the flu and and survived. Um, mm. but my my father was taken away from her to to go to a wet nurse and stuff because she was so sick. But <clears throat> that pandemic, they said there's very few uh personal stories written about it because people were so ashamed at how they behaved. Hmm. Yet we have a lot of opportunities to share our feelings about the pandemic. And we did at first, but then I found that nobody talked about it anymore. And maybe it's because they're afraid if they talk about it, it won't go away or something. I don't know, some kind of weird thing like that. And, but the, the good thing about the Buddhism, as you pointed out, is when the pandemic hit. Now I've had a virtual Sangha since prior to the pandemic. So I was always well, already well-versed in setting up a virtual Sangha, but I watched all these Buddhist communities struggling to learn how 
to Zoom and to to, to <laughs> YouTube and to to broadcast. And it was like, and same with Christian churches and every kind of church. It was everywhere. And I always I've always said to my audience, it's like, if you were ever interested in Zen or if you were ever interested in Shin or if you were ever interested in Tibetan Buddhism, you can there there's a million places you can go and find out about it. And it's real. It's just like as if you walked into their their temple. So that's progress. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, you know, one thing I'll say about the the sort of worldly pandemic experience and um kind of rating how how each country did and and all of that is that I spent half of the pandemic in the US and half in Greece. And I just, you know, back to our expectations discussion before, part of what and I should say too, I I was in China when the when it hit and then I was oh in the my. US for half of it in New York um and then in Greece. And I will say that it was interesting how our assessments of how each country was were you know were doing change because I when I came back from China like I wrote this piece and I because I was really impressed like I woke up one morning um after a couple days of them saying the virus is in Wuhan that's not where you are because we were in Harbin we were in northern China quite far away from Wuhan uh no 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 virus here we woke up the next day the hotel was like everyone needs to wear a mask now and it's like you blinked and you know because the the Chinese are a much more sort of law-abiding citizens, you know, right, than right. the U.S. are, you know, um, for better or for worse. Everyone was wearing masks. I was very impressed by this. So, like, when I came back from China, I was like, you know, we could maybe, like, learn some lessons from the the Chinese around this. Like, lo and behold, two years later, you see what's going on in China as far as the COVID lockdowns and people starving and this, that, and the other thing. So, I do think there's a little bit of a myopic sense that people got in the U.S. in particular that they see the U.S.'s troubles as being unique, where because I spent half of it in New York and half of it in Greece, I just didn't see that. I just saw like each country like had its own thing. And and certainly like countries where, you know, U.S. and Greece are both troubled in their own ways. And certainly I think in, in other countries, it didn't quite go this extreme. But I think that sometimes Americans forget that like this is not just the United States that people were really pissed off at the government and like <laughs> That's right. not happy with the way that things were going. <laughs> Greece had an enormously strict lockdown. They had a, you know, kind of the opposite of what you're saying, which what I found ridiculous. They had a mask mandate outdoors um, long wow. into like just long into the pandemic and they were fining people. And, and Greece is not a rich country overall. So there's just a lot of there's a lot of criticism to be handed around. And I think there's a lot of legitimate criticism to be handed around, but there's also a little bit of this this releasing of expectations of like, yeah, how we're really expecting this to go, you know? And um, I do think, like you said, there there is also like all the good that came out of it. Um, I, I you know I I don't know in in the millennial generation at least we talk about pandemic glow ups, you know that because like <laughs> we had this sudden, um stop of life that it really made a lot of people take stock of what was going on oh absolutely yeah and people made big changes they had their glow-ups i had mine <laughs> um, <laughs> no so... i see it. well you just i see it a lot in like the sense of uh transgender uh more and more people i know um that came out as transgender or or non-binary just like that, right? Or more and more people quit their job or more and mm -hmm. more people. And it's like, well, when you have time to think, you stop reacting and you start 
responding, right? That's that's really, and that's what it, it gave people. You know, a lot of people, I knew people that didn't even ever know when their bushes bloomed because they never had the time to look, right? Or they've never, never saw that I remember we were seeing, and, and I, I was a little snide and snotty. Somebody posted on, it was either Twitter or Facebook, a picture of a cardinal. And it was like, they were so freaked out and excited about seeing this cardinal <laughs> in their yard. And it was like, cardinals are everywhere. Come on. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's true. I remember, um, the first lockdown. So I was still in New York at this time. Um, my mom caught COVID and my mom is in her seventies. So, and this was pre-vaccines. This was like when we really did not, yeah, Yeah. we did not have information. And so I did what you're not supposed to do, which because she lives alone, I went back to New Jersey where, where I'm from and, um, she's living because there's just no way I was going to leave her alone in the house, you know, as a 70 year old person, like whatever. Um, Anyway, she gave me COVID. She got over her COVID faster than I got over my COVID. So there's all that. But uh, <laughs> within the the fear of like what's going to happen to my mom after that passed, and we were lucky that it did pass. God, I love that first lockdown. I love that. <laughs> it was beautiful, wasn't it? Oh, my God. Like, I didn't have to do anything. I mean, obviously, I had to work. But <laughs> yeah. other than that, oh, man, I really, really enjoyed that stop. Um yeah. Like you said, to give people room and space to to take stock and be like, you know, it, it does remind me of that Buddhist thing of like, wake up, wake up, your exactly. hair's on fire, you know, and and it it, it really was a, it, it, I do think like it, and not to spiritually bypass it or, or be Pollyannish about it, but I do think it was an opportunity. Um, yeah, it, it a definitely one. It definitely was. I I saw it a lot. So, well, boy, we had a kind of a crazy weavy wind windy conversation um uh, there's so much more i could talk to you about and of course i will post links on the show notes to where they can learn about you the progress network the podcast the newsletter all those things and i i i am a i am a listener subscriber so i encourage people to try it um, and before we close, though, is there anything else you would like to ask me or bring up or mention that you didn't think I did? Oh, because um, I was very disjointed, I have to say. <clears throat> I, well, I'm really curious since you have a background in, in broadcasting. It's funny because uh, when people talk to me about the news nowadays, I always tell them and I, I, I confess to you that I'm like, I hate cable TV. Don't watch TV. Right. Um, it's just I find it's the worst offender in the, the media as far as when it comes to talking heads yelling at each other as you mentioned and and just making everything seem like the world's about to fall apart so um i'm curious just like your own news consuming habits you know because because you mentioned also that you can fall prey to doom scrolling as well like are you are you glued to the tv or like what's i don't know uh, it's interesting uh, this me. is kind of embarrassing but yeah um but i i <clears throat> i'm known for telling the truth so no problems here um i was a tv addict um, because I came from TV. So I was a TV addict and it took me a long time, um, to sort of get sick of it. Um, mm. even though I hated it for the very reasons I told you is like, I remember the Walter Cronkite days, you know, I walked 20 miles to school in the snow. I remember <laughs> the Walter Cronkite days. And so this was so not, it wasn't even news. I mean, there's a, there's a few 
things on cable TV you can find that I think are news. Um, maybe Lester Holt is pretty good. I think um, you know PBS NewsHour has has been pretty good. Sometimes I've lately not liked it quite as much, but um, but I um, will admit, and everybody, I I definitely lean lean left so because i lean left i i will sometimes get on the um <clears throat> bandwagon and turn on nicole wallace on msnbc mm. or or rachel maddow just because and i think a lot of it is because i appreciate the broadcast value of research and journalism and writing stories so i like news people who actually write stories and who don't just get on and introduce guests. And there are few and far between like that. Um, really? Cause people don't have any idea how, how hard it is to research a story, write a story, promote a story in a way that isn't ridiculous. Mm. Um, and so I respect like Rachel Maddow, despite the fact that she's like, you know, probably the end, like the the uh the the satan god of the right you know um <laughs> so i do watch them um but i'm not glued anymore i used to be glued i think the pandemic cured me of that um mm. and, and and the trump era cured me of that it just got to be too much so that's when i reached out for uh podcasts about philosophy economic you know i i tell my um partner i'm gay and so i tell my wife of 42 years she said what podcast do you listen to because she's one of these people that you would like to res rescue because she just turned it all off um <laughs> so, and she always says you'll tell me if i need to know anything mm. so she says what, what podcast do you listen to and i i'll say like economics she said economics what <laughs> but you know things that are interesting to my head that takes me away kind of it's kind of like escapism but in a good intellectual mm, way maybe or maybe i'm justifying that i don't know there no i think it's funny that you know people people i think kind of expect me to say the opposite because i'm in news i actually think that people need to know a lot less <laughs> than they feel exactly. like they need to know <laughs> they do um, it's just that they need to focus on things that are really important and the way that the news is structured right now it's really hard to do that like there's just the emotional valence on everything is just turned up so high that it's really actually hard to tell. Like this is an important thing that happened versus <laughs> like, you can ignore this. Don't worry about it. So. Yeah. Because it's all at that screamy level. And it's mm -hmm. like, like, and it's like a fire hose of information. I don't know who's there. That's a phrase that came from somebody and I forget who, but, um, and, and it is, it's like everywhere and it's too much. And it's like, um, you can get really addicted really fast I, I, you know, the, the B Buddha talked about, you know, intoxication. I consider mm -hmm. that an intoxication and I've had to break myself of it. It's, it's easy to get addicted. So I give myself the, the, uh, I allow podcast listening because I think if I keep away from politics, it's not so evil. <laughs> Not so intoxicating, maybe. Yeah, not so intoxicating. Because <laughs> I can actually fall asleep and that'll be good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's helpful. And I think, too, that, you know, we have one member, Robert Talese, that talks about um, the politicization of everything. And that, like, actually, like, if we could just tone down the 
we don't need to have politics in every area of life, right? Like it's. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I was just thinking about that the other day. It's like no matter what podcast you go to or what, it's politics. It's like in America, anyway. I I think it's like in other countries too. I don't know whether I don't know, but you're right. I think that's so true, so true. Yeah. But they. Thank you for making me admit my uh, addictions. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put you on the spot or anything. <laughs> no worries. No worries. So, uh, uh, did you have any other subject you wanted to bring up? Or no, you, no, that the, was the it. I, you satisfied my curiosity. Okay. That, well, I'm curious too. I think that's because we're both come from journalism and writing where, you know, curiosity's part of the game. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's wonderful, wonderful to talk with you today. I really enjoyed it. Learned so much. and I think everybody will learn it. So thanks again, Emma. Thanks you so much for having me. This was really fun. That's it for this episode. Um, next up, some announcements. As always, a reminder that you can join me and others in the private donation-supported Everyday Sangha that meets virtually via Zoom every other week on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The Sangha is currently at the end of a study of the Shin Buddhism classic River of Fire, River of Water by Teatso Uno. We will be starting a new study in a few weeks with the book and subject to be announced. It would be a great time to join us. And you could also support this podcast and the other activities of Everyday Buddhism by becoming a community member for $5 a month. If you do, you will have access to a member to members-only podcast, an education series, a private group on a non-Facebook platform, and the bonus contemplation podcast. If you don't follow me or Everyday Buddhism on any of the social media platforms we post in, you can go to the Everyday Buddhism website and join the membership community or the Everyday Sangha. Go to www.everyday-buddhism.com and click on the tab that says Join Community or Sangha. I am thankful for any donations you are able to give. I do not seek podcast sponsors and do not ask for financial commitments through paid podcast memberships. So my work and the cost of everything needed to keep my work public is entirely self-funded except for your donations. Please consider a one-time or continuing donation through Patreon or my website. You can find the links in the show notes. And thanks, too, to all of you who write in with comments and questions. I do read everything, but I can't always respond. Another way you can help is to, of course, rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It's important to share the podcast with others. First of all, it helps my rankings and it will help others find some peace in their lives if it helped you. And if you could, take a minute to comment so people will know why you love everyday Buddhism. That's all for the announcement. So until next time, keep finding ways to make yours and everyone's days better. <music>